How many of y'all like to get new things? Oh, come on. Now, you, don't you like new things? All right, I like new things. I mean, don't you love that new car smell? Isn't that great when you get a new car until you get the first payment? But at least until then, it's like, ooh, it smells. I don't know how they do it. Maybe they spray stuff in there. But that new car smell. Or if you've ever had a house built, there's kind of that new house smell, too, that actually goes in there. It's really cool. I don't know about you, but I think everybody agreed. We all love new things. In fact, I kind of did a little research, and I know uh, several of us grew up in the 1950s, not me, but I know others did. Uh, So you might remember this. In 1950, Zenith introduced the Lazy Bones tuning system. It was the first remote control. You had to have a wire connected to your TV, but you could sit there and change the channels. So that was really new in the 1950s. Hey, did you know that the telephone answering machine came out in the 1950s? Did anybody remember getting their first answering machine? Anybody remember? I remember we got an answering machine. Yep. And um, so I remember um, the first message right after we got married. You have reached the residence of Jim and Laura Wright. I just got married and I got a new wife. So please leave your name and number. And it was anyways, it it rhymed. Um, (laughs) It was a little rap there. uh, in the 1950s, some of y'all remember this, you got a camera that came out with the in flash in the camera. That was a really cool invention. So some of y'all may remember, hey, got a camera's got a flash in it. That's really cool. Uh, here's another one. Ladies, you probably might remember this. Saran wrap, when it came out. Oh, that was so great. It doesn't stick to anything. I'm sorry. But anyways, except to itself. Uh, the first non-stick pan. Y'all, maybe ladies remember that when you got your first non-stick pan, you know, and it lasted for a few weeks so all the Teflon came off. This was interesting. In the 1950s, uh, colored appliances came out. And I've seen those yellow refrigerators. Some of y'all had them. The green refrigerators. The, oh, this is so cool. I have a yellow refrigerator and things like that. And that was in the 1950s. Now, for those of us who grow up in the 60s, I was born in the late 60s, so I don't really remember much of this, but uh, you may have remember when the Etchuk sketch came out. That was really cool. If you were a kid growing up in the 60s, because even if you were a horrible artist, you could shake the thing. And that was, that was really cool. Here's another one. If you're a coffee drinker, the 1960s non-dairy creamer came out. Now, the cows revolted, but non-dairy creamer came out in the 60s. Some of y'all like that. Here's one I remember uh, using a lot of, the audio cassette. That was huge. No longer did you have to have that big record, which originally were like 16-inch discs. I mean, it was like a... But then it shrunk. But then, then the audio cassette came out, and that was so cool because it was all in this little cassette. And I remember this. And it came out in the 1960s, but I remember it in the early 70s when we got our first touch-tone phone. Did anybody remember that? You could press the buttons, okay? Uh, so that, that, was, that was really funny uh, and, and really cool, you know. And the first handheld calculator, when that came out, that was so cool because I don't have to think anymore, right? I can just do the calculator. In the 1970s, not a whole lot of stuff that you might resonate and I might resonate with, but here's a couple of them. The first VCR, Remember that? Oh, I could record movies. This is so great. Or another one, Post-it Notes came out in the 70s, right? Our wives loved those, right? And have the Post-it Notes. In the 1980s, which was kind of my era here when I was really growing up, the Sony Walkman. You could take that cassette tape, put it on your side, and you could walk 
That was so cool. You could have the earbuds in, things like that. The mobile phone really caught traction. 1980s is about that big. But the mobile phone came out. Video games. I remember working mowing yards to get my Atari 2600 so I could play uh, Pac-Man or Galago or Commando and things like that. CDs. That was huge, right? So now we move from the big discs down to the smaller discs in the 45s, into the cassette tapes. Now it's all digital, and that's on CDs. The personal computer. Uh, some of y'all may not have gotten it in the 80s, but my dad was on the forefront of personal computing being a senior uh, programmer. So we had uh, IBM 8088 in our house. So we had personal computers probably before other people did with the ugly yellow green screen. And if you didn't save, you lost it all. Uh, in the 1990s, text messaging came out. Now, some of y'all probably hate text messaging. I actually hate it, but I can't help it. I just everybody texts nowadays. So that came out. DVDs. That was cool. So no longer do we have the bulky cassettes. Ah, oh, man, that's so, ah, so yesterday. Now we got the DVDs and the Blu-rays, Google on the Internet. Uh, if you remember, if you were an early Internet person, Alta Vista was one of the early search engines. It took forever to load. And then it came along Google. It's like, whoa, this is really cool. Oh, here's one you may remember. Uh, when this came out in the 1990s, the Tickle Me Elmo. Woo! That was so much fun. In the 2000s, here, here we got some, here's some cool things that came out in the 2000s. Okay, if you, if you go to the restaurant or gas station and use the restroom, you may remember, they're still around, those horrible slow hand dryers. You press the button and woo. But in the, in the 2000s, the accelerator came out. You know, I was just reading an article today that they're saying those are horrible for you now because it sucks in all the germs of the bathroom and then blows it all over your hands. So you can't win, okay? You either have towels and you destroy trees or now you're getting germs blown all over your hands. So whatever. Uh, USB drives came out. Love those things. Noise-canceling headphones. I love those when I mow the yard. The Xbox, the iPhone. Garmin. I remember that. I remember I had one of those. And my parents came down to Texas to visit us. I'm like, oh, I'll put that up there. And my dad was like, oh, that's so cool. So, of course, he had to get one the next day. But uh, iPods came out. And, and, and now there's some really cool new things coming along. In fact, it's already started in limited markets. Amazon is now delivering packages by drones within two hours. That's already happening in a couple markets. They're still waiting on more. So it's going to be before long. Uh, you click on something. In fact, they have these now. They have little buttons you can put like on your dryer and you can hit tight and actually sends a, a thing to the internet, which would go to Amazon. Amazon would load it up with a drone and fly it to your house in two hours. Uh, that's coming out of the market. They call it the Internet of Things. It is, is some new stuff coming out. Uh, self-driving cars. I'm not so sure about that one yet, but that's something new uh, coming around the corner. 3D printing, that's already out there. They can print, they can print guns. They, my son tells me they can print houses. I have, that's got to be a big printer. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, this is really wild that they're printing this stuff. And, and, you know, when you think about all this new stuff, and I mean, look, our generations have seen more new things come out than any other generation. I mean, the, the, the pace of technology is so fast. And so when you get something new, maybe when you got that VCR or, or when you got that Tickle Me Elmo for the kids and things like that, when you get the new car, the new house, it's exciting, right? I mean, it's like, woohoo, this is awesome, this is great, especially if you think it's going to solve a problem, 
all right, that you've had. You've, and, and now this new thing's going to solve a problem. You're, you're going to have more convenience. You know, remember when the microwave came out? Oh, that was cool. Of course, we all were afraid we were going to get radiation poisoning. You know, don't open the door. But, you know, uh, but the microwave came out, and that was so cool. You know, you could cook a three-course meal in 30 seconds. And, and when you have those new things, it's, it's like a change. It's a, it's a breath of fresh air. It can be really invigorating. Now, so when we get new stuff, we can be really excited, if, especially if it solves a problem. On the other hand... How many of y'all, it makes you tense? You get that microwave and you're like, oh, am I going to press the wrong button and turn out the lights? You know? Or, you know, what, what's this, this computer? If, if I click on this, am I going to break the world? You know, and things like that. So for some people, new things just get them really uh, torn up inside and things like that. It's really stressful. They're really apprehensive and things like that. Uh, but, but on the other hand, uh, the, old, the big thing is, we like to get new things. You probably have even a saying that goes like this, out with the old, in with the new, right? I mean, we have all sorts of sayings like that. Now, on Wednesday night, here, we've just started a, a series on how to study the Bible. And uh, so don't forget, if you were here on Wednesday nights, if you want to join us, remember, we're supposed to read the book of Jonah this week, uh, because we're going to learn how to really get into the text and take it apart. And two weeks ago, when we started the series, we kind of did an overview of the Bible, and uh, we said, there's how many books in the Bible? Does anybody remember? 66. 66. All right. Ding, ding, ding. So 66 books in the Bible. And, and we were talking about how the Bible is broken into two big sections. The first section is the Old Testament, which Testament means covenant. And then the next section is the New Testament or the New Covenant. So what is so new about the New Testament. And why, why is it so different from the Old Testament? Why, why was there a need for a change? I mean, why do we have to have a New Testament? All right. Because sometimes we do that when we get new things. Like, what did I, did I really need this? I mean, really? I mean, was that really a need for it? I mean, is there really a need for the New Testament? Well, today we're going to see where the New Testament was originated. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, verse 14. Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to start uh, today and um, Luke chapter 22 and let, let me just say that right now this is the beginning of the Passover so this is the beginning of the Passover for the Jews and Passover was the first feast of the Jewish calendar year so it was the kickoff the Jewish calendar year and it was the oldest of the feasts of the Jews and, and it, it basically Passover was celebrating the time when the Jewish people came out of Egypt, they had basically incubated in Egypt, so to speak. And, and, and after that incubation period, they were a nation. They were, of course, you know, in slavery. They were in bondage. It was a horrible existence. And God sent Moses. And Moses said, let my people go. And you know the story. There was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Finally, the tenth plague. Pharaoh says, get out of here. And, and that was the night. The tenth plague was when the firstborn of all the Children and animals and livestock were killed, except for those who had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And what happened was the angel of death passed over those homes, and so that was called the Passover. So the Passover was celebrated every year. It was a one-day event, and then after that, it was followed by the Feast of the Unleavened Bread uh, for another seven days. So that was kind of the thing. And, and, and if, if you know, I'm sure you know this, that when the Passover came, 
People would come in from all over Israel to the temple and, and they would bring all these animals in there, all these lambs to be sacrificed. In fact, historical records tell us that up to a quarter of a million lambs would be sacrificed on Passover. So it was an extremely, I mean, the city would just be jam-packed full of people. You would have, it would be smelly with all these animals all over the place and the blood, and, and you would see the blood running down the, the eastern side of the Temple Mount into the Kidron Valley where it would turn the water red for several days. And, and so you, you would just have this, this massive slaughtering going on of the lambs because, again, the Passover was when the lamb was sacrificed and then the blood put over the doorpost. And so this was an, an incredible thing. Now, it had been going on for roughly 1,400 years. Now, there had been gaps and stuff because of things in their history, and, and, and they observed it uh, different ways before they had the temple. But that was what was happened. You would have the lambs there. And the Jews lived under this system. They lived under the law. That's what the law said. You need to go sacrifice the animals and things for your sin. And so just like all good Jews, Jesus and his disciples observed the Passover. Okay? And again, they, they were Jews. So here they are at the Passover. They're in Jerusalem, which is the very heart of the Passover celebration. And again, they, they could see, just put yourself, you're, you're with Jesus and the disciples. You're walking into Jerusalem. You can see the temple gleaming. I mean, it, it's just a, a beautiful, powerful sight when the, the, the sun would hit it. It's all white, and it would just be almost overpowering. So here's the temple just gleaming in the sunlight. You can hear all the lambs bleeding and things like that. And, and, and you can smell the smells of the people and, and, and all those things like that. The town's noisy. It's crammed. It's filled with people, and this is the centerpiece of the Old Covenant. This is the, the thing. This is the Passover. And so here Jesus and his disciples come into this city, and they go into what's called the upper room. We now call the upper room in the, in the capital city within walking distance of the temple, and this is what's going to happen. So Jesus and his, his disciples are gathered in this upper room, and look what happens here. Luke chapter 22, verse 14 says this. When the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus is saying, I, 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 have, I have fervently desired to observe this incredible old feast with you before I desire. I, I, want, I, I want to remember with you the time that God's people were delivered from Egypt. But notice he says something that didn't initially make sense. I wanted to do this with you before I suffer. What? What do you mean before I Suffer. Jesus says, I want to do this before I suffer. I mean, come on, Jesus, what do you mean you're going to suffer? You're, you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am. I mean, you can do anything. They've tried to arrest you. They've tried to apprehend you. You've always eluded their grasp. What do you mean before I suffer? I mean, Jesus, the only thing that's suffering are all those lambs over there that we're listening to bleed, who are, who are getting ready to be slaughtered here on the Temple Mount. They're the only ones that are going to be suffering. And, and then Jesus says something else to him in verse 16. It's really shocking. He says, For I tell you, I will not eat it, that's the Passover meal, again, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, what does he mean, it, until it? He says, until the Passover is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You see, here, here's the thing. The disciples didn't get it at the time. Nobody else did either. But that Passover meal pointed to Jesus. 
Jesus is saying, I've, I've wanted to eat this old tradition with you again before I suffer, which at that point, what, what is getting ready to happen? And, and, and I won't eat it again. I won't eat this again until it is fulfilled. That Passover meal, let me, let me just tell you a little bit about this. If you were here in um, December, January, we had the uh, Jews for Jesus here, and we had the setter here. And, and it was a, an incredible experience. But if you weren't there, and I'm not going to get into all the elements on it, but one of the things they would have was the bone of a lamb. They would have the lamb shake there. And again, it was a reminder at that Passover meal. So they would have had the lamb there, the lamb shank there. And it was a reminder that the lamb had to be sacrificed and that its blood had to be put over the doorposts and things like that. So the lamb was a symbol of salvation. That was a reminder to them. And, and, but here was the problem with that old system. The problem was it wasn't sufficient. Every year on the Passover, they would be bringing their lambs in. They would be bringing in the animals. Every year there was constantly having to be these blood sacrifices. So every year they would have the Passover and they would have the lamb shank there. Every year they would have it because apparently even though it was offered as sacrifice for sins, it wasn't totally sufficient. There was a need for something new. Something had to be done. Something had to be better. They needed a one-time sacrifice. Can we just have a lamb that is a one-time offering? Yeah, you're looking at them. They didn't get it at that point. But they needed that. They, they needed the new covenant. And again, when we get new things, we get it because we're like, the old worked at one point, but man, we need something better. We need something better. I mean, I love... You know, I, I, I just finished, um, almost finished, it's kind of a never-ending task, but I've been transferring all my music DVDs onto a hard drive on my computer and onto flat, on my flash drive. So I, I've got hundreds of DVDs now, or CDs that I've literally thrown away, because I now have them on a stick that big. It's so convenient now. I can plug it into my car and listen to it. I can plug it into my computer. I have my whole library with me. Now, I've made a couple backups because I don't want to lose it all. But it's all in one stick. And, and so as wonderful as those DVDs were, it's like, can't there be something better? Instead of having this big old stack of DVDs, yeah, we can put it all in one little stick. You can just put it in your pocket. Things like that. So, so the old was great, but man, we need something new. And Jesus is about to get them. Now, I, I'm not a 100% expert on this, but if I understand it correctly, at the Passover meal, there were, uh, they would eat the matzah, or the unleavened bread, and, and it was placed in a bag. The bread would be in the bag. It was called a ekad, which meant one in Hebrew. And, and, and there were three chambers in that bag, three places that you would put it in the bag. And, and the, the, the matzah that was in the first chamber was never touched. It was never touched. It was never seen. It was never used. The, the, the second matzah in the bag would be taken out when they would have the Passover meal and they would break it in half. And, and half of it would be placed back into the bag. The other half would be wrapped into a linen cloth. It was called the afikoman. And they would take that and they would go back bury it somewhere, okay? And at the end of the meal, the children would go to find the afikoman and to bring it back. Now, the third matzah in the bag, they would use it to eat the elements of the Seder plate. And, 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 and again, if you were to ask the rabbis then, and even today, 
what, what does that mean? What, what, what is that? You've got this one bag, you've got these three pieces, the middle one's taken out and broken, and one's put in linen cloth and, and hidden and then brought back. What, what is all this about? And, and if you ask rabbis back then, and even rabbis today, they would say, well, we're not really sure what that's all about. We think it's probably Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you'd be like, wait a minute, if that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that means Isaac's his middle one. He's the one that gets broken in half. Explain that one. How does, why did Isaac get broken in half? Well, we don't really understand why we break it in half. It's just what we do and things like that. And, and so even then and even today, a lot of Jewish rabbis don't really have a full explanation for this. But we do. We know why they do it. It all makes sense. So here they are at the Passover meal. They have the, the, the ekad there with the, the three pieces of matzah in it, and, and the first one stays in there, and, and the third one is taken out, and that's what they use to eat the elements. And the second matzah, the one that's broken, represents Jesus, the Son. We understand the meaning of it today. It, it, it represents his broken body. So when Jesus says here, I, I want to eat with this with you before I suffer, he is that second piece. He's that second piece of matzo bread that's ready to be broken for us. He was getting ready to suffer on the cross. That, that, that piece that was in, put in the linen cloth was his body that would be, be killed and, and buried for three days. And again, at that time, they didn't really understand it, but that's what, as they were partaking of the elements, it was all pointing to something new was needed. Again, Jesus said in verse 16, I will not eat it, that Passover meal, again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus is about to fulfill it. Jesus is about to fulfill it. He is the lamb, that, that lamb shank. He is that second piece of matzo that, that's broken there. He is fully God. He is put back into the akkad, okay, which is one. He is fully God. He is back in it. But on the other hand, he is fully man. That broken piece is taken out and buried. So he is fully God. He is fully man. He is that second matzah that is broken for us, and he is found. Because at the end of the setter meal, they would tell the children, go find it, and they would find it, and they would bring it back. The one that was buried in the linen cloth. And he is the found one. He is the found one. His resurrection. He says, I won't eat of this again until I eat it with the kingdom of God. You say, where's the kingdom of God? Well, it was both then and now. Jesus told him uh, earlier in Luke chapter 17, the kingdom of God is among you. The Pharisees asked him, where's the kingdom of God? He said, it's among you. Jesus came. He was the institution of the kingdom of God. It's both present, but it's also future. So Jesus says it's going to be fulfilled. It's fulfilled now, but it's also going to be fulfilled in the future when Jesus eats it with his bride, the church. Now, you know, we have a saying, out with the old, in with the new. Okay, I just want to make sure you're all awake. With Jesus, it wasn't out with the old. It was out with the old, but fulfillment of the old. Here is the new. Fulfillment of the old. Here is the new. In fact, I want to share with you one point this morning, and that is this. Believer, the new covenant is for you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that new covenant is for you. That new covenant is for you. Look at verse 17 here just for a second. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. Now, Luke's the only one that records two cups. In the Passover meal, the traditional Jewish Passover meal, there were four cups that they would drink from. 
This is the very first cup in the meal. Now, again, you're just reading this. If you don't know the Passover meal, you may not realize it. But the, each, four, each of the cups had a, a name, okay? And, and, and then the first cup was called the cup of sanctification. It was the cup of holiness. Sanctification means to be set apart, to be made holy. So Jesus takes the very first of the four cups and he says, Here, take this and share it among yourselves. The cup of sanctification, I want you to share it among yourselves. He gives thanks for it to God. Why does he do that? Well, Jesus says, you know, I'm making them holy. I'm setting you apart. Take this cup and share it among yourselves. Jesus was about to do something that those who put their faith and trust in him are set apart. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've responded to his death on the cross, you've been sanctified. You are set apart. You are not of this world. Sin is no longer your master. So Jesus takes that first cup, and he says, I want you guys to share it. Because you guys are set apart. You guys are sanctified. Look at verse 19. And he took the bread. That would have been that second piece out of the cod. He took that second piece out. And he broke it. He gave thanks. And he broke it, which is what they traditionally did. That was the way you ate Passover meal. You took the second piece and you broke it. But then he says something that puts a whole lot of significance on this. Look at what he said. This, the bread I just broke, is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now he starts off giving thanks. Why? Because he was thanking God. He knew that his death on the cross would be what would be the way that we would be redeemed. We would be saved from our sins. And and he was giving thanks that through his death, those who put their faith and trust in him are sanctified, are set apart. He takes that second piece of bread and he breaks it apart, something they would always traditionally do. But now he attaches a whole new meaning because they never understood why they broke the second piece. But now we understand this is my body that I I'm giving for you. And in less than 24 hours, Jesus' body would be beaten beyond recognition with rods, whips, crown of thorns. 24 hours, his body would be in a tomb, a cold tomb. That second half of the piece of bread, which was wrapped in linen and hidden, In less than 24 hours, again, this is my body. His body would be wrapped in linen and put in a tomb. And look at why he did this. It's given for you. It's given for you. I am doing this for you. All who place their faith and trust in Christ get the benefit of his broken body. I am doing this for you. Remember, just remember, believer, the new covenant is for you. God said, fulfillment of the old. It's time to do something brand new. Something new. Look at verse 20. In the same way, he took the cup. Now, this is interesting because if you look at the other, it says after supper. So there were three, there were four cups. The first one was at the beginning. There was a second one, which was, uh, was done during the supper. And there was a third one done after supper. So this is the third cup. 
This isn't the second cup after supper, because that's when they would drink the third cup. This is the cup. Now, what was the cup? Well, I told you the first one was the cup of sanctification. The second one was called the cup of judgment, but he skipped that cup. We're at the third cup now. And then we, this is the third cup, which they would take after the supper, and it was called the cup of redemption. You say, well, why didn't Jesus take the second cup? Why didn't it say, and he also took the cup during supper? Why didn't he do that? Because that's when they would have done it. Why do we see this? Why didn't Jesus offer the second cup to him? Well, the second cup was the cup of judgment, and it was the cup that only he could drink. It was the cup that only he could drink. Before he could give them. So the first cup, he gave it to them all. The third cup, the cup of redemption, he gave it to them all. The second cup, he never shared with them. Why? It's the only one he could drink. And in fact, within a few hours in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would pray in Luke chapter twenty-two, forty-two. He said, Father, if it's possible, take this, what? Cup from me. What is it? The cup of judgment. Take this cup from judgment. He didn't tell the disciples to drink of the cup of judgment. He was going to drink of it. And within a few hours, he would be on a cross. And Jesus always called God Father. But in the middle of that, he didn't call him Father. He says, my God, my God. Why did he cry out, my God, instead of my Father, my Father? Because when Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us, the Father could no longer look at him. And for the first and only time in in eternity, God the Father turned his back on his Son. And so Jesus was out of relationship. So it wasn't my Father, my Father, but it was my God, my God. I'm separated from you. I'm broken from you. It's because the Father said, I can't look. Why have you forsaken me? There on the cross, Jesus was drinking the second cup, the cup he didn't share with the disciples because it was the cup of judgment and it was the only one that he could drink from. He had to drink from it. And the, 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 the pain, you and I don't understand this. I, we just can't. The pain, the suffering was so intense that his blood literally separated itself. So when they cast the spear, blood and water came out. It was such an intense, it, it's something, I, the physical was horrific, but the spiritual warfare was beyond anything we could ever understand. Jesus doesn't share the second cup with them. It was the third cup after supper, which they traditionally shared, he shares with them. And look at this. So he, so he knows he's going to have to drink the second cup. So during the supper, apparently, he drank the second cup. He didn't, drink, he didn't share it with them. After supper, he takes the third cup, and he says, this cup is the new covenant. This is, it's called the cup of redemption in the Sutter meal. This is the new covenant. It's established by my blood. Not the blood of lambs that were out there on the Temple Mount getting ready to be slaughtered. This is established by my blood. And you know, here's the deal. Covenants in the Old Testament, they're binding. And a lot of times when two individuals would make a covenant, they would slaughter an animal, cut it in half, and walk between the two halves in the blood. That's how they, two, two individuals a lot of times would do a covenant. They, they would walk between those two pieces, willing to signify the fact that if I break this covenant, 
may I be killed. And so Jesus takes that cup of wine and he says, this third cup, the cup of redemption, as you know it, is the new covenant now. It's in my blood. I want you to drink it in remembrance of me. You see, for us to have the new covenant, the new, Jesus had to shed his blood. He had to face the judgment of God on our behalf. Because you and I can't. I mean, there's nothing good in any of us, okay? I mean, we're all sinners. We're all messed up. There is no way we can earn our way to heaven. You just can't do it. It's impossible. He's an infinite God. We can't do this. We can't earn our way to God. The only way this could happen is if a perfect human being could do it, and Jesus is the only one because he was fully God and fully man. Let me just tell you, believer, if you're a believer this morning, this new covenant is for you. It's for you. It's for you. So what does this mean? As we get ready to come to the table. If you're a believer, in other words, if you have said at some point in your life, God, I know I am a sinful person. You got to start right there. You got to admit it. Okay? Not, hey, God, I'm pretty good. Nope. I am a sinner. I, a sinner, I rebelled. I missed the mark. I, I can't measure up. I've stolen things, I've lied, I've, and you can go down the list. I admit it. And you know, I believe that Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. He was the fulfillment of that prophecy, and his resurrection of the dead sealed the deal. I believe he's the Son of God. And I need a Savior. I need a Deliverer. Please come into my heart and deliver me from my sins. Now, if you've never done that, if you've been like, oh, I just go to church, I think I'm pretty cool. No, you're not. You're going to hell. Sorry. You've got to know Christ is your Savior. You've got to place your faith and trust in Him and Him alone. If you've done that, the new covenant's for you. The new covenant's for you. It's for you. Your sin debt's been paid. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Your sin debt's been paid on the cross. You're a child. Let me just tell you what you are under the new, okay? You are the, king, the child of the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Isn't that pretty cool? You've been sanctified. God's declared you holy. You've been justified. You're declared righteous by God. You're a saint. Sin's not your master anymore. You're a saint. You have a future. Jesus says, I'm going I'm to drink of this again with you in the kingdom. You know, it's interesting to me that after Jesus resurrected, you know, the two on the road to Emmaus, he came and he broke the bread, but he never drank with them. I thought that was interesting. Because he said, I won't drink of this fruit of the vine again with you until the end. When's that going to happen? When Jesus Christ returns to this earth and when we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb, at that point, it's fulfilled. It's finished. It's over. He is on. He is the King. It's the cup of praise. It's the cup of praise. See, the fourth cup of the Seder dinner was the cup of praise. Jesus didn't drink the cup of praise because it's not complete until he goes to the cross. After he goes to the cross and drinks the cup of judgment, after he resurrects, he is the son, and he says at some point, I will drink that cup of praise with my body, my bride, the church. In the end. 
What does the new covenant mean to you? You can, you can approach God's throne boldly. You see, under the old covenant, all the people there, they were in Jerusalem, the Passover. Guess what was getting ready to happen? The day of atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And he would offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. It was a scary thing. In fact, they would tie bells to his, the hem of his garment and put a rope on him because if he wasn't holy before God, God would strike him dead. I mean, there was this place in the temple called the Holy of Holies that only he could go one time a year. And it was scary because a lot of them died in the process. And so this was happening one time a year. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was written too. And now anybody who is a follower of Jesus Christ can boldly enter the throne of grace. That's the new covenant. That's what it means for you. It means you live under grace. You're not under the law. In the law, under the old covenant, you had to offer sacrifices. You had to go to the festivals and observe all those things, the laws of purifications. You had to do all those laws. Under the new covenant, we live under grace. Doesn't mean you go have a license to sin. In fact, if anything, it should make you want to be obedient to God because of what He's done for you. But we live under grace and not under law. Believer, the new covenant is for you. So, this is the new. So Jesus took the Passover, set our meal, and the things that never made sense to the rabbis now clearly make sense to us. Jesus took a traditional meal that they observed for roughly 1,400 years, and said, guys, I want you to know this whole thing has always pointed to me. And I'm giving you a new covenant. And so that's what we're observing this morning, is the new covenant.